Okay, well, um, still going through the series, the basic series, talking about some of the basics of the Christian faith and trying to build a foundation. What what are the main things that the Bible teaches? And trying to do that in a way that is memorable so we can carry it around with us, but is usable and then also is biblical. So we're just doing it in terms of a question and answer, often you know, called a catechism, and trying to do it simple for the kids. And so a lot of it is pictures or ideas and that even kids like three could understand and grasp and, and use. So we've done quite a few here. Probably won't do very many more. There's only so many you can really hold. And at least for us, the way I use it at home with joy as we read through the Bible, and we usually talk about one or two of the questions in each story, and got plenty of information just with the first five, six questions to go through the whole Bible and talk about, well, what's sin, and who is God, and um, is Jesus God? What's, why did God make me? What's, was anyone in this story serving God? Was anyone like God? Was anyone with God? And there's a lot there in basically every chapter of the Bible about one or two of these questions. And so we're, the latest question we're working through is, what is sin? What is sin? And the answer that we talked about two weeks ago is, has three parts. What is sin? Sin is loving the darkness more than the light. Sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And sin is an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. And so that's that's the answer. I'm going to read it one more time here for you. That we're going over what is sin. Sin is loving the darkness more than the light. Sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And sin is an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. So just by way of review, last time we went over the first one, sin is loving the darkness more than the light. And we talked about John, and we talked about in John chapter 3 how it says that the light came into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were wicked. We talked about First John chapter 1 where it talks about walking in the light and that God is light. And so this week we're going to focus mostly on two and three. Sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And sin is an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. And then we're going to just kind of summarize the whole thing up after that. So let's start with sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. We're going to turn a couple different places. So Luke 19 is where we're going to start. It's going to be kind of a lot of flipping back and forth. And then, Lord willing, we'll just, after we're done with this, go back to going through a book, a book of the Bible, and then there won't be so much flipping and turning. So we're going to start in Luke 19. Just going to read a couple verses here. Starting in verse 27. This comes after 
a parable. We're just going to read the last part of it. But to give some context, the parable is Jesus talking about how he's he's like a king that went into a far country and and now he's returning. And so this is verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So this parable, Jesus is the king, and there were people that didn't want him to reign over them. I want you to turn again here and see this in Psalm 2. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, starting verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the kings of the earth there are saying, they don't say it word for word, but the idea is, We don't want the Lord's anointed, which is Christ. We know that's Christ. We don't want him to reign over us. And why is this our definition in our definition of sin? Because sin comes back to who has authority? Who has the right to say what man was made to do? You know, our first question, why did God make me? And the answer is right in there. God is the one that made you. And he has the authority to tell you what you're made for and what you were not made for. And sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign. I don't want you to be my king. I want to be my own king. And it's a serious thing. And it's an important piece of sin to realize and to understand because all sin is against God. We really have to understand that, that every sin is against God. We kind of talked about that last week when we talked about sin is loving the darkness more than the light. You know, God is light, um, and turning away from him is turning to darkness. But this is even more explicit, that sin is just saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. I don't want you to be my king. I want to be my own king. And it's a concept that, at least in our culture, it's people don't get it. You know, well, I'm not hurting anyone. You know, or, well, he's such a good person. He, You know, why? Look at all the good things he does. How could he be... You know, rebelling against God. Um, Questions like that come up. But every sin is against God. Every sin is saying, I want to define right and wrong for myself. I want to decide what I can and can't do, rather than letting God, rather than submitting to God. And the other thing I want you to think about in terms of this answer is, is God out for your good? You know? That's key to this key to this idea of sin. Because if you want if you want to do your own thing, what you're really saying is, I think I know better than God. I think I know what's good more than God, what's for my good. And since you're in the Psalms, let's just turn here just a couple more over to Psalm twenty three and just let's just think about this in terms of who it's saying God is. It's, 
the goodness of God. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's stop right there. So this gives the idea, it's the idea of a shepherd, but a good king is like a good shepherd, right? A good king is out to protect. He's out to provide. He's out to feed his people or his sheep. And this is what God's like. God, when he's reigning over us, it's a picture of a shepherd leading sheep to pasture, a shepherd protecting sheep from wolves, a shepherd leading sheep to water, a shepherd hitting sheep, right, with the staff or pulling them back when they get too close to a cliff. But that's what God is doing for us as our king. He is leading. He is guiding. He is saying, don't go here, do go here. But it's all for our good. Every single piece of it is for our good. And just like sheep, we don't know better than God. The sheep don't know better than the shepherd. We might say, I want to go here. This looks good to me. But the shepherd is so far above the sheep that he knows. He knows what's better. Sometimes we don't understand it. But we can trust him. It's really important as, you know, parents, again, coming back to this being one tool that you could use if you wanted to teach your kids, you know, and to talk to our kids about sin is, is loving the darkness more than the light, but all sin is against God. And God's out for our good. We want to submit to God as our king. We want God to tell us what to do. We want to obey him. We don't want to be like the people in the parable who say to God, I don't want you to reign over me. It's rejecting what's ultimately for the good of our soul, for our family, for everyone around us. We need the Lord. And we want to willingly submit to Him. You know, the, the question is then, who are you going to submit to? That, you know, David talked quite a bit last week about Genesis 3, you know, and sin starting in the heart, you know, when Eve looked at the fruit and wanted to take it. And the reality is, is we hear from God, don't do this. And we question, is God out for our good? That was really what the, one of the things the devil was telling her. God's not really out for your good. And she decided to, and Adam too, to pull themselves out for, under from the reign of God and to decide for themselves what they could and couldn't do. And so they said to God, in effect, I don't want you to reign over me. I want to do what I want to do. It's not a safe thing, right? It's just like the sheep jumping over the fence saying, I don't want these boundaries around me. I want to get out in the field and run through the woods. And it sounds like freedom until you realize it's not safe, right? There's wolves in the woods. You need a shepherd. And it may be that you get out in the desert and there's no food. And that's the same for us with sin. That sin may look good, may look like, man, I want to jump over this fence. I know God said don't do this, but I'm going to go ahead and jump the fence because I think it's better. The reality is it's not. It's not going to be better. God is out for your good. And we want to submit to him. We want him to be our king. And it comes back to humility, really. I mean, just think about for yourself, how has it 
gone for you when you feel like you're running your life. Like, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna run my life the way I run or run it. I mean, do you make mistakes? Can you foresee six months, ten years, twenty years in the future? It's like we can't. We're so fallible. We're so good that we have someone to reign over us, someone that's totally good, God, and He's willing to do it. We can submit ourselves, say, Jesus, you be king. You be king in my life. You tell me where to go. I don't know what's for my good ultimately. I need to submit to you, submit my reasoning to you. And again, talking to our kids about that, like this is about not just how you treated your mom or your brother or your sister. This is about God. What does God want you to do here? What is God... What did God make you to do? And it really ties in well with what we talked about two weeks ago, which is we talked about sin. This is just somewhat tying it in from last week, two weeks ago, I guess. Sin being the idea of missing. You know, it's uh, falling short of something. And it's really helpful, at least for me, in you know talking to my kids, not just saying, uh, well, you, what did you do? You pushed your brother. You know you're not supposed to hurt your brother. But to show the other side of it, well, what is it that you were missing? What, what are you supposed to be that you're not being, which is just the opposite. You're supposed to be protecting your brother, caring for your brother, loving your brother. Instead, you were hurting him, you know, and looking out for yourself um, at the expense of others. And to see both those sides, to see what I did was wrong, but also what God wants me to be. And so when we submit ourselves to God, we're saying, I, this is what I might want to do. I want to just take things when I want them and just do things the way I want. But the reality is, is God, as our king, is saying, don't put others first. Don't hurt, protect. Don't hate, but love. And there's times when we just don't want, we don't want to do that. And when we do, when, when our kids sin, when we sin, we're saying something, not just, not just hurting people around us, but God, we're saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me, and that's very serious. Tying it back into kind of our culture, our, our culture would say, well, look at these people, um, they're so good, look at all the good things they do. But the reality is, is that anyone who's saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me, and then they do a few good things, is still ultimately in a position of rebellion, Right? And so it's kind of an illustration that helps me to think about sin like this and to put it in context is, um, is, is imagine if there was a king, okay, maybe the king of England, back when there was pirates going around. I may have used this before, but it's, I think it's helpful in my mind. There's, you know, there, was, there was a big pirating problem. Um, uh, I can't, I'm not going to say the years because I'm probably get it wrong, but... Back when there were ships, you know, and they would, these pirates would come up with the ships and they would, you know, steal all the treasure and then they would go put it somewhere. Or they might even sink the ship or just take it, steal it. So imagine if you're having a conversation with someone like, I know the pirates aren't that bad because I saw them do good things. And they pulled out maybe like one of those spy glasses and they looked at a pirate ship. It's like, look, that guy's helping someone up off the deck who fell down. Look, he's patting him on the back. Look, he's binding up his wounds. He can't be so bad. He's a good person at heart. But then you realize the pirate is on a ship and their whole life is about rebellion. And they did one good thing in the midst of this pursuit of rebellion. So you see their fundamental direction is against the king, is uh, rejection, is saying to the king, I don't want you to reign over me. I want to 
do what I want to do and I want to rebel. And that's the same with us and God. You know, we can't say, well, I'm not rejecting God to reign over me um, because look at these good things I'm doing. Well, what's the direction of our life? Are we submitting to God as king? Or are we saying, well, I'll do these few good things and that makes up for these other things when the direction is rebellion against God? It doesn't, one doesn't outweigh the other, especially if one is in pursuit of this self-centered direction. I want to be my own king. This is the direction I want to go. We want the posture. It's not just a posture in a moment, which it is that, but it can be a posture of our whole life. And we want to be moving in the direction of, in every day, everything we do, saying to God, I want you to reign over me. I want you to tell me what to do. And then when we, when we don't, we come back and say, you know, ask for forgiveness and admit that, um, and then continue on in the posture of, God, you're my king. Um, and so that's saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And let's do the next part. So sin is loving the darkness more than the light. Sin is saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And then sin is an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. Let's turn while we're here in Psalms to Psalm 7, and then we'll turn to Genesis 4. So Psalm 7. So sin is like an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. That comes from Genesis 4, but there's a really, well, we're already in the Psalms. Let's look here. There's a really good illustration from Psalm 7. Starting in verse 12. If man does not repent, God will wet his sword, and he has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So let's stop right there for a second. And just think, what would you predict the next verses are going to say? Because he's saying, people are rebelling, they won't repent, and God is preparing judgment. And it's, it's like a sword that's been sharpened. It's like an arrow that's, it's like a bow that's bent and ready. And it's like an arrow that's on fire, getting ready to be shot. And it, what is he going to say here? That he's saying God is, is preparing pretty serious like judgment on sin. What would you expect he would say? Well, he says something that really surprises me. Verse 14. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. This is really surprising. He's like all these terrible images of wrath, right? The sword, the bow, the fiery arrow. And what is he saying that that's like? What is the, what is the wrath of God? It's literally just letting the person run into their sin, and it devours them. That's scary. He's saying that, He's digging a pit, and then he falls it to himself. He's saying he gets violent, and then the violence comes back on him. That's really scary. One of the scariest things that, can, that we can do is just, God, that God can do to us is just to say, when we're wanting to sin, okay. That's scary wrath, just to let someone run into their sin. It's like telling your, your child, you know, don't play in the street, don't play in the street, don't play in the street. And then, you know, maybe they turn 18 and, you tell them, like, I can't, you're an adult now, like, if you, if you want to play in the street, I mean, I've told you, you know what I think about it, I've told you many times, 
and depending on the street, you know, that can be really dangerous. And and then you let them do it, let them go into this dangerous situation. That's scary. And that's really what God does with our sin. That's one way that sin is like an animal crouching at the door ready to devour you. It's like one of the big pieces of God's wrath is he tells us, don't open the door, don't let this animal in, don't, it's going to devour you. And you say, well, I'm going to do it anyways. And God says, okay. That's scary. Um, it's kind of surprising here, because I would expect God to have said something outside, like he's going to bring something in from the outside, but he's not saying that. He's saying it's from the inside out that you're being devoured um, in this passage, that you're digging this hole, that you're gonna, he's going to let you, uh, your mischief turn back on you. And, and consume you. So let's look now here, same idea except in Genesis 4 where this phrase, an animal crouching, comes from. Verses 4 to 7. So this is Cain and Abel. And this is um, after God rejected Cain and his offering and he accepted Abel and his offering. And this is the conversation between God God and Cain. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So here's where we get this idea that sin is an, it's like an animal crouching at the door, ready to devour you. It's scary. Sin is scary for a lot of reasons. But this last reason is, is it's something important you know, that we explain to our kids and we know in our heart. It ties back into this question of the goodness of God. Why is God saying, no, don't do this? And why is he saying, do do this? He's saying, do this because it's good, and don't do this because it's bad. That's true. But he's also saying, like in Deuteronomy, it says, this leads to life, goodness leads to life, and evil leads to death. Choose life, he says to the, to the Israelites as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. Choose life. I've set before you, he says, life and death, good and evil. Choose life. That's what we have a choice between. When we put ourselves under the reign of God, when we choose light rather than darkness, we're saying we know God's out for our good and we're choosing life. Not just because God said it's right, which he did, and we should submit ourselves to him, but he's doing it because he's out for our good. We don't want to be devoured by sin. And i got an illustration here that's... that's it's sad, I think I've, I've shared this before, but um, it's just an illustration from our culture. I uh, heard this song uh, a couple years ago when I was uh, driving back from, I think, a visit to Kansas City, visit family, but I heard this song on the radio. It's a secular song, and it really describes this idea well of being devoured by your sin. And, um, and interestingly, uh, in a Grammy... You know what a Grammy is? Probably it's a it's a music award, award for it's a pretty prestigious award. And of the Grammy awards, I guess I'm not an expert, but what I read was that there's some that are 
like more prestigious than others. And like, for example, there's actually a Grammy for best polka album, but <laughs> it's not like that prestigious, obviously. But there's four, I guess, that are really prestigious. And two of the four, this particular song was nominated for, and one is Song of the Year. And, um, and the description for Song of the Year, I'll just read this to you. To honor artistic achievement, technical proficiency, and all-over excellence. And it goes to the person who wrote the lyrics for the song. So Song of the Year is the person who wrote the lyrics. Excellent, praiseworthy. Um, and then Record of the Year is a similar category, also one of the foremost prestigious Grammy Awards. And it's basically the same idea, except the person who performs the song. So this song I'm about to share you some of the lyrics from is like, they're saying, like, this is awesome, this is the best, this is something praiseworthy, like, we want, you know, that you deserve an award for writing these lyrics. And it's really sad, it's, it's not positive, so. Um, just think about this idea of sin devouring you. And it's, here we go. Party girls don't get hurt, can't feel anything. I push it down, push it down. Phone's blowing up. I feel the love, I feel the love. Sun is up. I'm a mess. Gotta get out now. Gotta run. Here comes the shame. Here comes the shame. One, two, three, drink. One, two, three, drink. It's really sad. And the whole song is, is basically like that. The idea is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have this good time. And then the next morning... I can't even hold my head up, and, I, and, you know, here comes the shame, here comes the shame. I'm a mess. And it's just so sad, and that's what our culture is saying, like, look at how great this person is, you know, who wrote this. Look at these wonderful lyrics, and the person is, like, crying out for help. I mean, it's obvious from these lyrics, this person really, really needs help, and needs our prayers. And just looking up, you know, um things about this person, I thought, man, this person needs, like, counseling, needs some biblical counseling, needs help, and as you can imagine, you know, I looked up details, and their life's a mess, you know, as you might imagine, and they, uh, this particular artist would perform with, like, these big uh, masks over their head, they wouldn't show their face ever, it was, like, really, really sad, like, very filled with shame, didn't want to show anyone their face. Um, it was, it's just really, really sad. But the reality is is that it's just the tip of the iceberg of our culture, of here's this thing, this is a good thing, this is an admirable thing, you know, be wild while you're young in college and, and, and do these things, and the people are even confessing themselves that they're being eaten from the inside out. And it's very sad. Um, pray for them. Pray for this this girl, and pray for people. It really reminds me of Romans. I'll read this to you. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, and gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, Gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. But 
Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's like lifting up these things that are sad. And the reality is, is that the devil and the world really want to tell you that these things don't devour you. You can, you can have hate in your heart. You can have envy. Even envy is a good thing, you know, the American way type of thing. Deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haughty, boastful, disobedient to parents. All these things eat you up from the inside out. That you grab hate and it's like it cuts you. Envy cuts you. Envy consumes you. And boasting consumes you from the inside out. It's so sad. And again, as we read the Bible, there's so many good examples of this. And actually, just in our culture, there's still some, I mean, recognition of, of these truths that sin will eat you from the inside out, even if we don't have the, the language for that. But as you read through the Old Testament with your kids, it's like this idea, what is sin? Loving the darkness more than the light. Saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And sin is like an animal crouching at the door ready to devour you. Just It comes out over and over and over in all these stories. You know, Think of Jezebel, right? Jezebel's a good example. Uh, Ahab's wife and all these evil things. And you can just see as you read through this story, it's like she is being consumed. And in the end, she is consumed. I think I already shared this, but when Joy really likes the um, Beauty and the Beast, and so she was talking about Gaston. I mentioned it in the sermon and, uh, a couple weeks ago and about how he's an example bad example. And she was saying, Gaston's just like Jezebel. She said that on her own. I was like, wow, that's that's a good connection. And it actually is. It's like, um, in the end, you know, he, they have, this sin devours them from the inside out, and in the end they both fall, um, and their sin of, in, ends up consuming them, fall to their death at the end. And, and the reality is these things come up. You know, we can teach our kids um, as we go throughout the day these things about sin and you know, they can ask, you know, ask questions, hopefully. Well, is this person loving the darkness more than the light? Um, and see these connections, you know, in our culture. Like, see sin and see it for what it is. And also, um, see the, what the result is going to be and predict that. Samson is another good example um, of his, his own sin. You know, consumes him. The ending is kind of ambiguous. possible that he repented at the end, which is good. Um, Saul, his sin consumed him. Judas, his love of money, you know, eventually he had to decide, do I want Jesus or do I want money? And he chose Jesus. He chose money over Jesus. Hophni and Phinehas, you know, the working in the temple and doing all these evil things. And in the end, um, they're destroyed. So I want to connect all three of these pieces here, kind of conclude this. Um, I'm going to read a couple of verses here to you, but move it from just what is sin to the larger picture and then to the gospel, just to conclude it. So I want you to think about this idea of the three parts of sin we talked about. Loving the darkness more than the light. Saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. And then sin is like an animal crouching at the door ready to devour you. Now, these three pictures really line up really well with what the Bible describes as hell. 
that the, the, basically this is a description of hell. Like, I'll re, I'm just going to read you some verses about hell and see if you can see the connection here between here all three of these pieces. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. There's the devouring. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God than with one eye, with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. I'll read you one more passage here. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel, no one in Israel have I found such faith. And I tell you, many will come from east and west and will recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see that really Jesus' description of hell really fits with this idea of sin. All the pieces are there. You see darkness. It's called outer darkness. You're loving the darkness rather than the light, and you're choosing, like, I want to be in darkness. I don't want people to know me. I don't want to be truthful. I don't really want to be with God. I want to be apart from God. And what you're choosing is, I want to go into darkness. Um, saying to God, I don't want you to reign over me. You're going to be outside the kingdom. That's what he calls it. You're not going to be in the kingdom of God. You're going to be outside. And then the images of devouring, you know, being devoured. The worm, what is the worm there? It's like devouring this, this you know, really rotten things things that have been eaten up from the inside out, and then here comes a worm to devour it. You know, continual. It says the worm's not going to die. It's like continually being devoured. Or the flame is not quenched. What does flame do? It, it devours, you know. It'll eat whatever you, you feed it, and it's saying it never, it never ends. It's continually being devoured. And so, you know, really this picture of sin really lines up with what Jesus described as hell, all the pieces. That sin... That hell is the result, the actual result of sin, and it makes perfect sense. It's like you choose the darkness more than the light, you're, you're choosing darkness. You say, God, I don't want you to reign over me, you're saying, I don't want to be in the kingdom of God, I want to be outside the kingdom. And you're saying, like, walking into this sin, like, God is telling you, this is an animal, it's going to devour you. And you're saying, I know, but I'm going to do it anyways. And the result is de- being devoured, and continually being devoured. And you can even kind of see that with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's like emotionally devoured. But the rea- here's the good news. So let's move to the positive, which is the gospel, right? Those are the negative sides. Uh, hell is the result of sin, but the gospel is the opposite, right? Think about that. I'll read you just a couple of verses here to close. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed. That's John 12. So here's what Jesus is offering. It's like, sin is loving the darkness more than light. And he's saying, look, here I am. I'm the light of the world. Come to me. He's offering. He's saying, like, come and come into the light. I'm right here. And how do we do that? By faith. He's saying, believe in the light. Believe in the light. That's a really amazing statement, really. I mean, you, would you ever think to do evangelism like that? 
you know, hey, I'm here, you know, I wanted to give you this track. Well, what, what is it talking about? It's inviting you just to believe in the light. Just come to the light. It's like, I wouldn't think to say that. That's how Jesus said it. It's like, believe in the light. That's the gospel. Jesus is the light. Um, believe. Trust him. Come out of darkness. He's inviting you in. He came all the way from heaven to invite you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So there's faith. But then that's the idea of um, light and darkness. But there's also the idea of God being our king or not being our king. Listen to this. Mark 1 says this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is God of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then Luke 6 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So the idea, the, another side of the gospel is not just light and dark, but it's God being your king or not being your king. Jesus came to invite us, like, here, the kingdom is, of God is at hand. All you need to do is just repent, turn. Turn from, like, rejecting God as king and receive him as your king. You know, this word Lord, you know, has this kind of kingly uh, connotation that you may already think about or you may not. But he's saying the head of the kingdom is the Lord, you know, and not just the Lord like Jesus, but the idea of Lord. They called Caesar Lord, you know, Caesar is Lord, they would say, but we know Jesus is Lord, the idea of the head of a kingdom, and we're submitting to him um, as our king. And you can kind of hear that in the Luke 6 passage. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? You know, Lord could also be kind of like Sir at this time, but. And sometimes in the KJV, anyways, they do translate it sir and things like that. But he's clearly bringing out the idea of king there, because he's, or, the, or master, the one who has authority over you, because he's saying, you don't call me Lord and then reject me as your king. Like, you submit. Why would you say Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And so we have this call from Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's, Turn from rebelling to submitting to God. Believe. And then the opposite, you know, of being devoured, Jesus really describes that in John 4. Jesus, this is Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So instead of choosing sin where it devours you, it's literally eating you up, Jesus is offering something that will do the opposite. It'll fill you. It'll fill you up. It'll give you life. Instead of slowly taking your life, it'll be more and more and more life. You're not going to be thirsty again. You're going to be filled. And so this is what we want, isn't it? I mean, we want to be able to see. Why do we need to know? Why is one of the basics, what is sin? Because, one, we need to know that we're sinners, right? We need to know, see what we've done in different facets um, of all what sin is towards God, what it, what it is towards light and darkness, um, what it does to us internally, to the people around us. Well, we need to know that because we, we want to turn to God. We want to be able to see the darkness that we've chosen and see the goodness of Jesus, see how bad a king we are for ourselves and see how good a king Jesus is. See how our sin is devouring us and Jesus is offering to heal us and fill us rather than being devoured. And so it's important. And it's pretty amazing really to see the contrast here. Jesus and sin and hell and the difference. It's like night and day. 
And we've, we've got an opportunity, even if we're like, no matter how deep you are into sin, it's like he's offering you still. If you're still here, you have an opportunity to repent, come to the light, be healed, be changed, walk in the light, have this new king, no matter how much you've rebelled, that's the goodness of God towards you. He's out for your good. And it really reminds me, I'm going to close with this verse from Jeremiah. It's like thinking about this contrast between sin, what it really is, and what Jesus is offering, who God really is to us. i read this verse here from Jeremiah. It says this, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then earlier he says, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? So it's like, here's God. And he's saying like, here, look at this goodness, you know, uh, a fountain filled with clear water. And then look at this cistern that doesn't even hold water, just has muck at the bottom. Why would you turn from the fountain of good, pure water to drink this mud? It doesn't make any sense. And it's the same with sin and the gospel. It's like, why live there? I mean, like, if I, if I could give an appeal to this, this lady who wrote this song, I'd, I would say like that verse, like, look, why, did you, why are you drinking this muddy water? This, you, you hewed out this cistern for yourself that doesn't hold any water, and you are confessing to the world in your song, like it's bringing shame and misery and guilt, and you're crying out for help. Like, don't drink this. Like, turn to God. Like, he's offering you good water. He's offering to forgive you, to cleanse you, to heal you, to walk in the light instead of having to wear, you know, a mask literally all the time because you're, You've, you know, you've got all these things going on in your heart. You can have freedom. You can walk in the light. You can be healed from all this that's devouring you. And these people that are, like, lifting you up, it's like they're praising this lady as she's, like, basically, you know, killing herself in this lifestyle um, that, you know, that they're praising, and it's devouring her. And, and you've got a king over here who's good. He's not asking you to do stuff that ruins your life. He's actually offering you living water that fills you with life instead of sucks out your life. He's not trying to, you know, um, he's out for your good. And so here's Jesus. He's the opposite of everything you've had, how horrible it is, and he's offering the opposite. He's not taking, he's not here to take from you. He's here to give to you. What he's going to take is your sin, your misery, your guilt, your shame, and uh, all this, this hurt. He's going to take it, and he's going to heal you. Turn to him. Why would you choose what you've been living? Like You even know it's, it's hurting you. And you're, you're proclaiming that to the world. Turn to God. He's there. He loves you. And um, that's really the gospel um, in different, th- kind of three different ways to present it. Uh, the kingdom, light and darkness, and then being devoured versus being filled uh, with the Spirit. And so you can really see this, too, in Paul's writings, just how a lot of times he'll contrast the fruits of the Spirit with, you know, Basically, fruits of darkness. You know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, don't don't do these things. You know that in the end, devour you. Turn to God. There's He's got something better for you. He wants to forgive you and free you and fill you. So, let's pray together. Father, we do just pray for our kids, and we want to be able to explain these things to our kids, and we want our kids to know you. And we just think about. Um, our lives and all the times we chose darkness and were devoured by our own sin and we pray you'd spare our kids those things.
and I pray they would they would really see your goodness and and love you and rest in you. I pray you'd help us as parents and relatives and just friends just um, to point to you and we need help every day. I pray you'd help us in our personal just in our own lives. We don't want to choose sin and darkness. We want to be real. Choose the light. Uh, bring our sins out. Ask for forgiveness. We need help every day. And I pray you'd help us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being willing to come and take on flesh and die and take our punishment for us. And we just say, you didn't have to do it, and you did, and we're so thankful. Thank you for light. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for healing, for uh, offering healing to us and filling. So we ask for that this week. Would you, would you help us to walk more in light this week and just be fully submitted to you as our king? And we just need you every day. Thank you for your word. And um, we do want to be a light in our culture, and we ask that you'd help help us there too. And I do pray for this lady who wrote this song, and just have mercy on her soul. And um, thank you even just that she was honest about how bad it is. And I pray you'd help her to see the light. Would you send just one real Christian into her life and um, cause her to read the Bible, just open up and read about you. We just lift this up to you, and we love you. Amen.